Dragon's Lair, the fantasy adventure where you become a valiant knight on a quest to rescue the fair princess from the clutches of an evil dragon. You control the actions of a daring adventurer finding his way through the castle of a dark wizard who has enchanted it with treacherous monsters and obstacles. In the mysterious caverns below the castle, your odyssey continues against the awesome forces that oppose your efforts to reach the dragon's lair. Lead on, adventurer. Your quest awaits. People of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Be a trekkie, eh, sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor, I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd Fanboys, it's the Fanboy Planet Podcast, and here's your host, Derek McCaw. Thank you, this is Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting on Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday. It's unusual. It is unusual. October 27th. There are reasons. Uh, we are podcasting from the Brett Cave, and uh, uh, so I would also like to introduce the rest of the crew, which is, of course, our man in Los Angeles, the self-modulating man. I'm Nate Costa. And literally hosting this at the Brett Cave, podcast producer, Rick Brett Snyder. Indeed. And as it's Tuesday night, it is uh, 8.17 as we begin this podcast, so any news item that happened, it'll say about, after about 6.30 today, because we went yeah. to dinner, yeah. and uh, we were a little bloated, didn't check the internet, so we'll see. Uh, anyway, if you are listening to us, you probably found us on iTunes, and if you did that, please subscribe, rate us, review us, tell your friends. You can do the same with the Stitcher app on podcast.com, on Podcast Pickle, and a variety of other sources that carry us as well. You can find us at Fanboy Planet. Com, where we set up a page for each and every individual podcast, which also contains Amazon links to items that we have discussed on the podcast, uh, or an Amazon search box if there's something else that leads you there, if you cannot find those items at your local brick-and-mortar store. And if you'd still, we get a small kickback from the Amazon links, and if you'd like to support Fanboy Planet even further, there's, of course, a PayPal link as well that you can donate to Fanboy Planet. And... Of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. We've got some comics news, we've got some TV news, we've got some movie news, but but our top story tonight is that uh, I don't think Rick saw the sun today because he uh, <laughs> there was a game out, uh, which is a major cultural event, which is Halo 5 was released. So we turn this over to Rick Pretschneider now to talk about his experience making his hands cramp while he played Halo 5. My hands were unusually supple today. The, the Halo's been the... He soaks them in Vaseline. I do. To keep them soft for his wife. And I wear kids' gloves over them. Kids' skin gloves. Thank you, over. Curly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Halo was was probably one of the big launch titles and has really been the uh, the 
the title for Xbox all along for the last three uh, models that they've come out with. And when Xbox One came out, they announced Halo 5, which was uh, another 343 edition. And probably this is one of the more significant... What does that mean, a 343? 343 is the company that took over after Bungie stopped doing Halo. Bungie had originally been working on Halo before they were bought by Microsoft. They bought their independence from Microsoft. I'm not going to make any social statements there. Um, and they left to go off and do Destiny, uh, leaving Microsoft with the intellectual property of Halo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, it came out today, uh, available both for digital download directly to Xbox and uh, a number of disc versions. There was a standard disc. There was a iron, or what, what's the tin box normally called? Steel a, box? Steel box, yes. It's steel, steel not tin box. They're tin. They're not made out of steel. <laughs> Shh. Sorry, Don't Dave tell Tapia. Dave Tapia. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. His entire life is a lie. I'm a man of steel. Um, Tin. So, and then there was a, a legendary version that had the steel box and a statue of the two main characters in this version. Um, this is an interesting one because all through it, the first one was the, was the Master Chief, who is this cyborg ultra warrior um good guy you never see his face as the trademark uh, up against the covenant and then the second one it was the covenant um well and it turned out it was against the covenant and this uh this kind of radioactive goo that infected things and reanimated covenant and alien race well yeah the covenant was alien race as was this uh Radioactive zombie ooze. Yeah, so uh, that would animate the dead characters, and you had to fight them all over again. In the second one, you played both uh, Master Chief and a Covenant warrior who had a sense of honor, uh, a code, and they uh, essentially then they teamed up. And the third one, there were variations on this through through uh, there. There was uh, Halo OST, mm-hmm. which was the one I think that introduced Nathan Fillion as a character. Uh, but as, as a voice actor, not as a character. And but then, that would make the game more interesting if Nathan Fillion was a character in well, the game. Well, I've got some news for you, because in Halo 5, Nathan Fillion, his face and voice are used quite a lot in as a secondary character in one of the squads. Because in this one, you're you're jumping back between two characters, both of them human cyborgs, each one leading a red or a blue squad, which mm-hmm. is kind of a red versus blue has been the way things break out in multiplayer, too. Um, so and I played spawned a, a YouTube series, yes. Yeah, and, and wonderfully funny stuff. Um, Nathan Fillion uh, is playing kind of a grouchy, uh, battle-worn guy in this, because he's been through a couple of the games now. Um, but they've never had his face down as good, an expression down as good as they have it now. Um, I played... Uh, probably about two two and a half hours this afternoon. I got through quite a bit, um, and it's. I think it's going to be a good uh, a good addition to it. But it's not breaking. It's not breaking any new ground here. It's just a really solid, good uh, Halo. Well, if I can ask the question, because I think about this with the video games a lot that that they're fun, but I, I see there's a there's a, what is breaking new ground? What are we expecting? that would make something a groundbreaking new game at this point when so much ground has been broken. 
You know, that, that's it's a real good question. I think one of the things they tried to do more in this one, they did a bit in OST, was your view is definitely out of a helmet. And you're seeing the kind of HUD heads-up display that you see in an Iron Man movie. Uh, stuff going around and it's all it's not just like random stuff on the screen showing your health and stuff this it really feels like you're inside a helmet and it feels a little constrained too so the point of view is an area where you might break through i think the next big breakthrough and you've been talking about we've been talking about is going to be a vr helmet where you're actually turning your head to look at different portions of the screen which is going to immerse you all that much more um and now having played with that in the uh, Google Cardboard and other devices, I really, I really think that that's, that's going to be the way the next, the next set of breakthroughs is going to happen. I, I can agree with that and say we, we, as we started to talk tonight, uh, you know, Viewmaster, or actually yeah. Mattel yeah. has released the Viewmaster, which uh, sells both the standard old reels. It comes with the old discs right. as well, but you can also plug your phone into it or your iPod. Uh, whatever your your personal device and download software and download things so i mean that's thirty dollars we know that xbox has something i can't well no they're going with the google uh, not the google uh the what's the name of the of the of the glass this the specs but yeah they have a different system yeah. where it's more an augmented reality yeah it than a virtual reality it, it lets you see what's around you and put stuff up over it right so, so it's an overlay. It's, it does recognition that, of stuff. That's augmented reality yeah. versus virtual reality, which uh, right. Facebook owns Oculus Rift to be coming out. Sony, ha- I can't remember what Sony's calling it, but Sony has a set headset coming as well. So, uh, you know, that makes sense. We said that, but when, but you've answered that. For now, Halo 5 is a great game, but, but I, you know, this is my question everybody talks about. It. It's not groundbreaking. It's like... You know, when I play a Toys to Life game, they're all essentially. I, I want to give Lego Dimensions credit. Yeah, there's an ev- another layer of play to Lego Dimensions that is very impressive and and much more puzzle solving than Disney Infinity. But I love Disney Infinity because it's the characters I love. But you know, so I'm yeah. This just stuff curious it, what that it is. used to be just performance, you know, and but now performance, even over the network, performance isn't an issue. It used to be that. You, the the network services they had and the and the programming they had made it so you really felt like you were fighting with other people mm-hmm. in this virtual space and you weren't being hindered by the fact that somebody else had a faster network connection or whatever. And now a large portion of why people buy these games, they play through the campaign game, but then they spend a hundred times more time online in Playing. simulated battlefields. And this has teams of 24 24 against 24 teams huge teams i mean when we were little kids we'd just go out on a field and run and pretend all these sure things would you happen. Did, grandpa you're, yeah you're much older than me uh <laughs> keep telling yourself that depends on how we count it um no. so uh yeah that that is i i think thinking about that that you know, these online campaigns is yeah you would just go out in the field and play that but yeah. now we're afraid of hurting ourselves well, and getting sued now you don't have to say no i got you first no i did you first because the game will kill you for you yes okay uh so great let's uh let's talk some comics then um we do have to acknowledge up front in the comics news that we i though he has not been active i i was feel very strange when we say when we mourn the passing of a giant in the industry uh, when they have not been active for some time and they've had a very good long life. Mm -hmm. So Murphy Anderson, who is a great inker, well, a great artist, but most people know the majority of his work through his inking. 
uh, on uh, you know on DC Comics mostly mostly his pairings with uh, Kurt Swan for most of the seven nineteen uh, seventies Superman stories yeah. and into the early eighties I think I can't remember when Kurt Swan retired but uh, Murphy Anderson stayed for a long time uh, definitely uh, inking a lot of Green Lantern early Green Lantern over Gil Kane's pencils and a lot of flat of the early Flash over Carmine Infantino's. Mm. Pencils. Um, neither Carmine Infantino nor Gil Kane liked being inked by Murphy Anderson because he definitely was one of those inkers whose style d- overtook. You know, yeah. uh, but I, I think it gave it a uniform look to the to the '60s comics, and definitely felt like uh, you know that if you loved those characters, it really was Murphy Anderson. He did um, pencil and ink two series that people may be familiar with: Adam Strange and the Atomic Knights. Which can be found in nice deluxe hardcover editions from uh, DC Comics. Both worth checking out. I mean, in great uh, Atomic Knights being a post pocket, which was just part of Convergence. There was an yeah, Atomic Knights. There was, Knights, an Atomic was Superboy. Knights. Wasn't that the Legion of Superheroes ended up so. fighting the Atomic Knights? Yeah. Uh, which which made that book doubly good because you had the Legion of Superheroes that I really enjoyed uh, from the seventies and early eighties. And they had, they had and you had the Atomic Knights, which crazy, is just <laughs> crazy explanation of the effect of radiation in in a like. I remember there was one episode where they came into town and they decided they were going to wash their armor because they wanted to get the radioactivity out of it. So they found a trough of water to uh, one of my favorite uh, things. Uh, back to the origin story of the Atomic Knights, which was really uh, Scott Gardner Fox writing that originally. That the lead, uh, the lead of the Atomic Knights was Gardner Grail. Mm-hmm. Who was the soldier who was exactly average? You know that, that was That's his power. <laughs> that was his power to survive. Just like you know, you talk about your uh, you know a, a, a cultural shift is in the early sixties. Exactly average. You celebrated the common man and you made him the hero, the leader of the Atomic Knights. Uh, about thirty years later, uh, Mike Judge would take that same concept of the exactly average soldier and turn it into idiocracy as the as the survivor who would become the the smartest man in the world and still be an idiot. Right. So, uh, it's an interesting cultural shift, but definitely you can find those uh, he passed on at the age of 89. Apparently he had been in ill health for a few years, but uh no one, no one has a bad word to say about him. Definitely a gentleman. Just such clean inks. I mean, and just, and a great great artist, but just as a human being. As a lot of yeah. uh, my friends online have been mourning that it's just someone who was a great just a, a great a person guy. to talk to, you know. So, um so we shall focus on on things now. I believe it was Forbes ran an art- article this week, or maybe it was Business Week, that has caused some consternation uh, online about uh, the revelation, which I think we'd actually covered something similar a while ago, is that the top-selling comic in the world is not what we call a comic. Why are we, spe- why are we separating out as a manga? Attack on Titan, which we know is insanely popular, sells yeah. 57 million copies worldwide. And I, I tie it in because Marvel gave sent us a press release yesterday, and which we ran about international Iron Man. Because you're what's the what's the adjective right now in the Bendis book? Uh, He's not invincible again. It's and it's not superior. Yeah, I can't I can't Amazing remember. Iron Man. Incredible. Incredible, incredible Iron, Man? Iron Man. I don't know. I'm it, looking it up right now. Yeah. Uh, imperfect Iron Man. Uh, indelible Iron Man. In print, Iron Man. In print, in print, Iron Man. Um, inch by inch, slowly I turned, Iron Man. No. Um, Let's see. It is currently 
uncanny. I think it is invincible. It's invincible again, and I just like it's been so long since it's been the Invincible Iron Man that I've not <laughs> that I've totally forgotten. That I was can the, find the picture. I can't find the. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, whatever it is, it's becoming yeah, the, it's invincible again. It's yeah. invincible again. Okay, that he's becoming the international Iron Man in 2016, and the big push is that it's going to be translate or the big selling point is not only is the character going international which is like oh cuz Peter Parker's doing it got it right um uh, but but that that it's being translated and and published simultaneously in several different languages and I would bet very heavily in the Asia market where we also ran that they're doing gourmet dinners three Marvel dinner nights oh yeah in Hong Kong uh, so definitely a huge push in the Asian market, and I can't help but think that the, that the timing of these stories uh, is interesting and intersecting. That it's that as we talk about oh the cultural impact of superheroes worldwide, when really the biggest of these things with a cultural impact is is Attack on Titan, and almost no one in the American press, you know, we we don't cover that much. No, and we don't. And when we talk about top selling comics. We don't take manga into account. Now, when you say and, 57 million, yeah. the question is, okay, one, their comics, their magazines are much more disposable than ours. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that's broken down issue by issue, digest by digest, how that goes. Well, but they also go, th- we, we typically go comics to trades, and they, right. they typically go comics to collected books to... Um, upper level trades, hardbound, mm-hmm. silver cover, uh, we, whatever. We're, we're doing that too, but we do it in a slightly <laughs> different order because you get the hard cover first, then you get the soft cover, yeah. then you get the deluxe omnibus, and then you get the super secret um, special yeah, uh, the, lock the of artist will, hair. The omnibus will come after twenty years of, of the book being out there, and these are coming out like the next year, right? And the, well, this thing, the Germans did the same thing with with uh, their science fiction. They I can't remember the term. Nate, you're about to say something. It's also a really American thing to say, oh, the best-selling comic book is this, and in reality it's not a manga book because Americans don't pay attention to things that are not American. Well, in the, it, it, I've run similar stories before that actually the best-selling comic uh, of American stuff had, had been for a while um, out of Ape Entertainment, which couldn't, could not make any inroads uh, in stores with, with their, hard, with their um, hard copy titles. But when they were selling digital comics... They were selling three hundred, four hundred thousand uh, downloads an issue of Temple Run as a comic, really, and Pocket God. Wow! And that was the top comic for for a while. I don't know if they still do comics based on that, but for a while, when they, and then they they'd collect them up, they'd put them in stores. You don't see Ape Entertainment on the stands anymore. Hmm. Um, and I know because we I talked to Dave Gibbons about this once when he did Gears of War. He did the comic, right? That was the top comic. Because it was being distributed through GameStop by people who were buying Gears of War. So, you know, we've always left these things that, that out, of the, out of the narrative that divert from the story of what's the best-selling Marvel comic, you know. Because what's the, what's the average run right now of comics of a, of, a, of a mildly successful book? A mildly successful book is about 30,000, a circulation right. about 30,000. And right. even... The big story, you know, for this year had been that Star Wars number one shipped over a million copies, and we were all excited. But I've seen the figures since. Star Wars now sells about one hundred and thirty-five thousand. Okay. Now that's still really good. Yeah. But when you think about, you know, it, it, it's it's good, but it's a far cry down. And one of the things was, Loot Crate had packed 
every box oh, yeah. with with a variant cover, so you count all the variant cover issues. You know that's why variant covers are back because then you can up your numbers and say this is going to be. Uh, and and then you did have people that just came in because it was oh you heard a lot of press that it was Star Wars number one was right. out, but they we we gained some. I mean I, I do know from talking anecdotally to comic book shop owners up and down, you know, both Northern California and Southern California, that, uh, you know, that they do have people that come in and that's all they buy. They'll come in once a month for the Star Wars comic. Now, the, the interesting thing about Attack on Titan is, are they st- are there still new issues yes. of that coming out right now? Yes. Right now? Still, the, the, still coming out in Japan. Incredible delay in the uh, anime, in the anime yeah. version of that. Well, it's because it takes longer to animate. Uh, that's yeah. it, it and did a different approach, different studio, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then I've I've heard and you know Michelle Saman uh, reviewed the live action, the mm-hmm. first live action film because it's a two parter. Um, and every criticism that I had looking at it ahead of time, he called out as being uh, a, a problem. And I, I can't believe that I'm actually accurately criticizing this. Like I'm being a purist on a manga, but. Apparently, that's been the reaction in Japan too. That they're very upset at the changes because it was too many changes. Right. It was, too, you know, at, I think it like as a live action film, which I think someone's trying to develop. I don't know which studio it is, but trying to develop a, a live action Attack on Titan is it has to be an international cast because that's how it's written in right. the, in, the, in the manga, and that's not what they did in the in the live action film. But there's apparently a video game coming as well. I mean, this is a huge. You know, it, is, it just simply is a huge, huge worldwide phenomenon. Definitely uh, a phenomenon in which there's very little hope for mankind. <laughs> but like Walking Dead, which we won't spoil well, this yeah. week, we promise we won't spoil this week. But it, it is interesting because I would say that's probably the only book right now in terms of soft cover sales, hard cover, you know, omnibus editions as well that is coming. It can come even close to what some of these bigger manga that we're not talking about mm-hmm. because when we talk about best selling comics. We are leaving trades out. We're just talking the monthly circulation of, when I say Star Wars, I'm not talking about including the Star Wars trade paperback. I'm saying monthly, Star Wars number nine is doing about 135000 You know, Whereas Attack on Titan, I'm not sure how those numbers break down, but I could see it being millions worldwide. Because also, again, people throw them away. They're not the sturdiest of books. Yeah. They're not meant to be, to be saved and passed down to your children. They're meant to be enjoyed and read to pieces. Right. So. so you're saying people might buy multiple issues of it because their first one disintegrated? <laughs> that can that can be. Or they, you know, they just toss them aside and go, "I like that." You know, they're also because you look at them. the The newsprint quality is all yeah, the you know the paper really quality. Pulpy. It's it, it's it's pulpy. It, it's um, like what, what were you showing? Like last week when you had that Agents of Shield, uh, you know, big hardcover and the thing that's so much better than the actual originals were. And I, you know, I I don't yeah. know. We tr- we treat it so much more like art artifacts, things to be saved and treasured, and they don't. So that if it's like, oh, I like that story, yeah, I'll, I'll just buy the reprint, you know, yeah. which you did anyway. But each reprint you bought has been a nicer and nicer edition. Yeah, okay. Soon you will be able to step into the book and immediately get killed by Scorpio. So uh, <laughs> I sold my old ones on eBay. <laughs> well, you gave me two. I, I gave you two I, of the I, ones that I had before that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We just recycle yeah. and go. Uh, so, um, yes, I, I, I also mentioned uh, in the all new, all different Marvel, which is in, which is including the international Iron Man. All new, all one different. More, one more thing about the international Iron Man. Yes, I'm not liking that because they had just done the like 
Amazing Spider-Man is now the international. Well, no, that's Spider-Man. why that's why my headline was like, was take that Peter Parker, like uh, you know, because it does feel like like somehow behind the scenes they are competing. I yeah, you know, it's yeah. like oh, I see, Spider-Man went international. Well, then Iron Man's going to go international. Well, it's and remember when uh, did you read the Superior Iron Man? No, because he had come out with a phone. I, I, in San Francisco. Yeah, I'll get to it eventually because I have that Marvel Comics Unlimited. So now I can just digitally read it. But but Parker now has a phone. Oh, too. I know. Yeah. yeah. So Parker's I'm, I'm, more like Steve Jobs. It's like Steve Jobs versus uh, versus Bill Gates kind of. But I can't really say they're Tony both Stark is they're, Bill Gates. They're both a lot better looking than either Jobs yeah, or, yeah. Or, or or Bill Gates were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And I, I, the other thing I'd say with Iron Man doing it though is it's. Uh, Spider-Man's the worldwide licensing lead, mm-hmm. but Iron Man as a as a figure, uh, because Marvel has had Marvel has more rights, thanks Sony, um, to to Iron Man. To say it's not, I don't think it's an accident that in Hong Kong Disneyland is getting the first Marvel ride at, that's Disney because there's the Islands of Adventure at Universal Studios in Florida, right? But um, that there's the Iron Man experience coming to Hong Kong. And I think that, that that character does very well. And Iron Man 3 had a scene uh, shot that was shown uh, in China. Right. That was not in the American release. Right, so the Chinese doctor. The Chinese doctor f- fixing his heart, which then the Chinese audiences felt very patronized. Right. Why are you giving us a different version? We don't need that. Um, well, it worked for Transformers Age of Extinction. That's it would why have been they did fine it. if they had had it in, in the American in both, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Why couldn't you say, look, he's the ki- the character's established yeah. as, you know, yeah, we just do dumb things in search of international dollars. Yes. Um, we're, we're patronizing as companies. Uh, so in the all-new, all-different Marvel, uh, there are two books that they talked that they announced uh, today, or one was preview art and one was a full an- was just an announcement today that are definitely all new, all different in different ways. When they'd done like a preview image of Red Wolf, mm-hmm. who was the Native American superhero from, did he, does he go back to the 60s or just the 70s? Just the 70s. Just the 70s. Yeah. Um, and he was a lot more stereotypical then of, you know, he was definitely more of the feathered warrior wearing the buckskins. Right. And uh, and there was some outcry that he was shirtless and he had the, the wolf head again, and yeah. uh, or cowl rather. And... Uh, and then in Secret Wars, he appears in the 1872 book, and it's a lot more a, a, a more straightforward Western hero who happens to be a member of the Cheyenne tribe. And uh, so he'll be surviving Secret Wars and brought forth. And the the press release makes it sound like he is um, the same character from 1872. Like I'm still not piecing together people that have come from different worlds. Like, I know you didn't read last week The New Avengers, the one with uh, Roberto da Costa. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I actually really liked that book. Yeah. I liked the approach. Does he still own AIM? Yes, and he's okay. called it something else, and, and S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't quite trust them, but they need to, you know, it, it was a good, a good thing with younger superheroes, but uh, the Reed Richards, the evil one, is, I can't remember what, what he's calling himself, uh, the Maker. Yeah. The Maker. So the Maker is the villain of New Avengers uh, for right now. And there's still no explanation. I saw that cover, and it almost made me want to buy the book. And, and it's really good. Yeah. I would say of the first issues I've read so far, it was the biggest surprise for me because I just went, okay, I'll see. You know, I'm buying these first issues to see what sticks with Luke. Yeah. And he loved it. And then I read it and went, well, this is a really good story with characters that I don't necessarily know, but I want to know more. Except there were Young Avengers. Yeah. I knew Wicked and Hulkling, and yeah. I liked them. 
So um, the cost it was New Mutants. And yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, as far as of a previous Avengers team that, that right. I remembered having read, and uh, so you know, it was good, but not to get bogged down and to get back to uh, Red Wolf. I don't understand from Secret Wars if people remember being a previous time periods. If they remember from being, if the Maker can be in, uh, you know, New Avengers, does he remember what happened before Secret Wars? They're playing it very vaguely right now because right. obviously Secret Wars is not finished. So we shall see. But the con- now he's more straightforward, but the controversy remains with this book, that the writer, as Nate pointed out, Nathan Edmondson, there is a growing body of evidence, but no one's been able to come out and make accusations, is that he's a serial um, uh, harasser at best uh, and uh, possibly even, uh, as I say, uh, predatory, harassing women and... Um, uh, a long string of people, including that uh, the writer Alice Cott, who, uh, A-L-E-S, who had been working for Marvel last year, came out a few months, a couple months ago, and tweeted that he resigned Marvel, and one of the reasons why was because Marvel was refusing to reprimand, to take action huh. against Nathan Edmondson for his behavior to f- fellow staffers and particularly towards women. So uh, the controversy online... Uh, and I say these are all alleged alleged things because no one yeah. has come out and absolute and repressed a charge, or there you know it's all anecdotal evidence, and even the anecdotal is still very hush hush. So the controversy is that Marvel is given a character that seems to be very inclusive by including a Native American by listening to the critics and taking away that stereotypical look and making it more historically accurate. Uh, hopefully, making him you know a, a really cool badass super, you know superhero who happens to be Native American. Um, but if you're someone who's com- committed to diversity and inclusiveness, you have to. It's almost like you have to pick your battle. You put forth this book, but it's written by someone whose personality is allegedly reprehensible to most of the people that would want to buy the book. Mm-hmm. But they've even gone so far as they have a cover artist who is also their Native American consultant. And I love his, you know, that's the very stylized one, uh, cover with the right. two guns. And, right, and right. You know, and, he, they, and so. It's almost a block drawing. Uh, yeah, drawing. They, well, yeah, it, it, looks, it looks like Native American art. It's, right. really, it's, it's really cool. So there's, they're listening on one side and seem tone deaf on another. And I don't know. I've never read anything by Nathan Edmondson. So I, I'm not saying – so you know, my question, my controversy here is can you separate or should you separate the art from the artist? Is he a good enough writer right. that you, know, you want to enjoy the story even though he may not be someone – because like one of the things that people say is provable is, okay, he has definitely been a member of – very conservative and some would say bigoted anti anti gay groups organizations, but it's a free country. Again, you know the writer Chuck Dixon is very conservative politically, but loved Birds of Prey, loved what he did with Robin. Yeah. You know, and and it's just like somebody cra- you know who's extremely liberal is, you know, okay. People have a lot of trouble with Orson Scott Card too. Same, and I still enjoy part. Orson Scott Card's work. You know, uh, most of it. Um, Right, and that's the thing is, you know, should and should art be held responsible, pay the price for, you right. know, because on the flip side, there are plenty of people that make uh, excuses for Roman Polanski as a film director, and there's a lot more proof <laughs> of what he has right. had done that is reprehensible, um, but we people still... In- well, there's also, I mean, 
has he been tried? Has he no, been found he's guilty? not, and that's the so thing. So it's know. like when you're in the port, when we hear this kind of stuff, we we want to jump to the worst and the association. And this is why I'm being very careful with it. It's, if we're going to be journal, you know, self styled journalists, we have to acknowledge that there is this controversy. Mm-hmm. I linked to a story where someone had tried to d- dig up on it, so I, could say, I thought it was the best. It was the clearest explanation on another website as to what the issue was, mm-hmm. why people were genuinely concerned. I do know that the reality is comics had been a boys' club mm-hmm. for a long, long, long time. And I do believe, certainly when I look back at my first couple of years going to Comic-Con, not that I participated in anything, but knowing that you could see the way people treated men, in particular treated women showing up at Comic-Con, all those old stereotypes are stereotypes because they're true. Mm-hmm. You saw that behavior. You, you, you witnessed that. It's changing thank heavens, for the better. But we know, you know, that there are a lot of creators as well, um, people behind the scenes that that have been up where that behavior was for a long time, a blind eye was turned, and now it's not. And it's a difficult adjustment, and yet it seems that some, some companies at the top are still turning a blind eye to that behavior. It seems that way. Again, I have no firsthand knowledge uh, uh, of this, I have never witnessed. I, I do not know Nathan Edmondson. I've never met him, uh, and I've never read his work. My sh- my concern is like, well, Red Wolf seemed interesting to me. My larger concern is, damn it, Marvel, stop putting out books that I want to <laughs> that I want to buy. But yeah. but also, you know, it, it's I do want to support. If you're going to give me a book with a character that has a very different point of view from mine own and is well done, I want to read that book. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm frustrated to find, well, maybe there's a reason why if I want to make a political stance, I shouldn't. Where they have been inclusive and, and added uh, is that uh, Becky Cloonan, who is a writer of Gotham Academy uh, and has done uh, the True Adventures of the, ama- uh, 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 the Amazing True Adventures of the um, Fabulous Killjoys, written by Gerard Way, and uh, a lot of books for, for Vertigo and Image, really cool cartoonist. Is writing The Punisher, teaming with Steve Dillon, who had done illustrated the the great Garth Ennis runs, which the uh, Thomas mm-hmm. Jane uh, movie was based on the first Welcome Home Frank. So a question, and Nate might know better than I do, because I, I've kind of I'm not a hardcore Punisher fan. I read a lot of it. I you know I, I've kind of weaved in and out away from the character and come back. I've been away for a long time, but I did read the Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon stuff, and I love Steve Dillon's art. It's very simple, but I love it. Has a woman ever written The Punisher before? I have no idea. Wasn't there a lady Let's Punisher? Let's Google too? it. Uh, I think Electra. Um, no, there was. I thought there was. Well, there may be, maybe, but I'm not talking. I'm talking about creators. I know, I know, I know, I'm know. just saying because it's easy to throw. Please, there's a Lady Deadpool. It's easy to throw in a female version of the character, but to have that viewpoint, because I can think of Stephen Grant writing him. I can think of Garth Ennis writing. I had Joe Casada uh, or Jimmy Palmiotti wrote him uh, at one point. I don't know if Amanda Connor did or not. You know, because Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda, Amanda Connor worked together a lot, but. I don't know that she that she was involved in any of the Punisher runs. So, regardless, it's it's a fascinating choice of a writer, someone again with a strong viewpoint uh, viewpoint and a possibility to put a really cool twist on the character 
that makes me want to read it again. So um, kudos to that because, you know, we've talked about this is the all-new. You can give us all these multicultural characters, but, but that's not the be-all and end-all. What, what people want is an inclusive staffing. Right. And that includes, I, I didn't write down, but, you know, we, we ran that um, David Walker, who is writing Cyborg for, for DC, and the Shaft comics for Dynamite, uh, and tomorrow, that's Wednesday, the 28th, is having a really good day because the first Shaft uh, miniseries is getting collected in a trade paperback. And, I don't uh, think there have been any more issues since that series. No, no, there haven't, there's going to be yeah. another one. It was announced last week at New York Comic Con <coughs> that he's got, there's another miniseries oh, coming okay. out. He doesn't have time to do more than a, a miniseries because it was also announced he's writing Power Man and Iron Fist as a revival, and he's also writing Nighthawk, the version from... Uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Supreme Power. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so that character is coming back. David Walker's writing Which was back. the one that featured in Secret Wars. That yeah, was the version yeah, Supreme the Power was there, yeah. Uh, the squad was one of the Squadron Supremes. Right. Uh, uh, so, anyway, you know, that's that's the thing, is they're bringing in, we've got uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, the, uh, the journalist and, and essayist, is writing Black Panther, so you're seeing, you know, these characters, but, but they are coming in on, well... Let's be honest, black characters. Right. So to bring in a woman writing the Punisher is again good. You know, it's a different viewpoint. It's interesting. I just have no idea what's because they, they were very cagey about it. It sounded like a very stereotypical Punisher story. Right. But it's Becky Cloonan. She's got a really cool twist, almost like a punk vibe. Uh, you know, so it'd be interesting to see what, what she does. Um, so kudos to Marvel for their. Uh, all new, all different there. Uh, and and Chudos to John Lehman for Chu coming out this week. Uh, he's launching a new hybrid creature, which is parody both parodying uh, recent developments in comics where ads have been appearing in comics, while also still making the money off of it by creating the Chonk, which will have an ad in the middle as part of the story of tomorrow's issue of Chu. Where, while also telling you where to get your, your plush chunk, which is, I believe, chicken, I still don't know what the O is, if that's frog, skunk hybrid, uh, which apparently lets loose a spray of somewhat psychedelic effect. Uh, so I don't think the actual toy will be psychedelic, but uh, keep your eye out for the chunk, because no doubt at Comic-Con this summer, there will be limited edition chunks that uh, John Lehman will be selling. Um and uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, actually, because of the movie rights of Z-Men, the uh, Bill Jameis's Night of the Living Dead uh, verse. You know, it's uh, set uh, right after the events of Night of the Living Dead, and then it's going to go forward to 2016, leap forward, and what are the long-term effects of the virus. Mm-hmm. So they, had, they released 10 series simultaneously. And here's the thing. I don't think I saw any of them on the stands. But they're claiming they're already sold out. And this is what you know Bill Jameis had done with the Ultimate Universe originally. You couldn't reprint Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Ultimate, you know, Once they sold out, they were sold out. Um, and later when Jameis was fired from Marvel, then they kind of altered that policy but made sure you could get the, the uh, Ultimates there. But anyway, it's sold out. And But what they're saying, is, what they're not saying is how many copies is that? We just said like Star Wars, uh, 135,000 a month. Well, are these 10 copies, 10 first issues together, did they release 4,000? Was it 40,000? Was it 50,000? How impressive a number is it really? 
You could get a box set, which apparently the box sets are still available of all ten first issues together. And uh, what I, I, I noted here was somehow we missed the story that those were put together to sell at Hot Topic. Oh. But Hot Topic rejected them because they discovered uh, there was explicit sex and drug references in them. And I find it strange because I thought if there was ever a store that would, that be, would be okay with explicit boat. sex and drug references, it would be Hot Topic. Maybe I'm thinking Spencer's Gifts. but uh, th- Hot Topic seems to have they've gotten more, more family items friendly. as well. I mean, yeah, I they are... I think they have it, gotten more family friendly, but towards the back of the store, there's more like oh, I you don't know, go to the back. punk and rock, right? And that's what I mean. Yeah, I, I'm kidding when I say has, I don't go back. I, I have walked back there. Uh, like the one at the Universal City Walk in in Los Angeles is uh, it's a very shallow store. There's no walking to the back. You're like right. You take ten steps back, you're at the back. Yeah. Um, you know, but and the Hollywood store too is that way. It's all it's all a lot more open and kind of like it's not like when you go to a mall one. It's, it's Valley Fair. The Valley Fair deep. one, it goes deep and dark, and it just yeah. like, and you have to cry out, you know, did somebody have a GPS on me? Will they find me if I disappear in the spikes? Um, you know, I stay. There's, there's I stay up by the Doctor Who and Marvel stuff up front. I was surprised. There's there's so much Harry Potter stuff in there still. It's like shirts, and there's a whole rack of various charms, and I mean, like okay, charms no, no, I'm going to say something. This may, you know, I understand. You again at your age and my and me at my age, and this is not to be patronizing; it's to be a reality. There is an, a deep, deep cultural ingraining of Harry Potter fandom in a way that eludes us because it was not our childhood. Yeah, but absolutely, uh, but these, obviously it is. I, I was just surprised that these kids grew up with it, and you are still marketing perfectly to them. And that, and I mean, Pottermore is a huge site mm-hmm. that. That J.K. Rowling can just every now and then reveal some little tidbit, yeah. which we have no place to fit it, uh, uh, you know, normally in our things. But, you know, they talk about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which yep. is opening in 2016 in the West End. The play, which is set 17 years after the events of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. And I thought, brilliant, because how many years has it been since that last film? Me- Five, eight? six, has it been eight already? Maybe. I don't know if it's been that quite I that long. I think I was still, I don't know. Still in high school? Let's look it up. We could yeah, do that. That's, I, that's your job, Nate. still in high school. Yes. Uh, but whatever that point is, that you have a, it's a two-part play. 2011. 2011, so four years. Yeah. It's a two-part play. So part one is playing in 2016. They'll rehearse and do part two in 2017. It'll have a long run on Broadway uh, or on the West End, and then it'll move to Broadway, and you'll do this, and that'll keep the Harry Potter uh, name alive until such time as Daniel Radcliffe is old enough to resume his role as Harry Potter in the film version of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I've checked online. I have not seen any commentary that points this out, that it's a brilliant move. Throw some makeup on the kid. No, 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 no. You can't, no, no, because they're they're, they're, playing age appropriate, Harry Potter. You know, because it's really focusing on his son. uh, And and that's, you know, that's the cursed child, is the one who has both the name of Dumbledore and Snape and has to to live in the shadow of those those giants from the Battle of Hogwarts. So, um, 
you know it, it, but back to your original point is is is, is Harry Potter is just it means so much more to that gener- it's almost like I'd say the way those of us who grew up say on even the, say the first or second round of reruns on Star Trek but it's bigger because it's not just the few of us that liked Star Trek the first time around as kids yeah or the second time around as kids in my case but you know that that this was this was everybody this when that last movie came out er, almost every one of my students at the opening weekend of the Deathly Hallows part 2 was were posting and saying on campus my childhood just ended yeah in the dramatic way that only we could say in high school or on podcasts yes uh, <laughs> so well, i mean think about kids nowadays who who pick up the first book and then just read straight through to the end i mean they do it Probably right. in a couple of months, but or oh, but there, but there was a group with it, did some, it in seven years, in a couple of weeks, or eight years, you yeah, know, because it, as it, came, it was as spread it came out, out, you it, had other interests during that time, and but they were still it was still very intense, and that's yeah. why we know. I mean, we see the reaction is uh, Universal Studios on the West Coast because it's insane on the uh, in Florida. Universal Studios is going to be insane when they open in 2016 the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Studio City in Universal City, not Studio City. It's, it's Universal City. Um, and that's and, and, you know you, that is a, a completely immersive environment, and that's why, though nothing has been revealed, the assumption would be Disneyland's going to make that those Star Wars lands are going to be their responses, not just because it's overdue. You've got right. but you've got Star Tours. Right. You could as they're doing at Christmas time, making hyperspace mountain, and a few years ago that would have been enough, but because of Harry Potter. It's not. And then I think that raised the stakes on Star Wars fandom. Yeah. That's why now Star Wars fan, fans are looking around going, wait a minute. It can be a lifestyle? <laughs> you know? Oh, I don't think there's been any question in a lot of people. I know, but now it's more people. and, and It's a be- whole nation of Drew Campbells. <laughs> oh, God. I want you all to live with that thought tonight. Uh, <laughs> a nation of Drew Campbells. I think we have a podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Campbell Nation. Uh, no, yeah, I think a nation of Drew Campbells is funnier. Um, and speaking of Star Wars, let's go to movies and talk about that. That, of course, all the speculation last week has been, oh, that one character was specific. <laughs> I love this. My daughter <laughs> told me that in her history class, she says I would very much like her social studies teacher. I won't name the school. Uh, but uh, that apparently they, they took time in class to watch and rewatch the trailer as he analyzed it and said, that's what we're doing today. <laughs> no, no history. Wow. We're analyzing because he's a big Star Wars fan. So she says, dad, you'd be, you're a lot like him. I think, I go, hmm, maybe we should not meet. It, maybe it's matter and right, antimatter, right, right, right. but then it gets nerdy. And then my daughter turns away and has lost interest. But, uh, you know, but that's, uh, that people are speculating. And the whole thing was, we were in the car talking about like, well, where was Luke? What did he come up with? What did he think? You know, and J.J. Abrams just promises there's a very specific reason that Luke is not in the trailer, and it's you know, I, which is what I've said to some people is, it's not because he's Kylo Ren, although everybody wants to believe that you yeah. know because that that oh you know, it's because uh, he's be the a- hero. He J.J. Abrams you know love it or hate it, um, he believes in maintaining some surprise. Yeah. And and what's the you know the biggest surprise you came up with is Luke. I mean, there was a photo leaked. I think Nate mentioned that last week. There was a photo leaked of of 
Hamill on on set, right? You know, dressed as what we assume was in his Luke Skywalker costume. Yeah, he was kind of grizzled. And, yeah, and yeah. like you know, I think fifteen Bothans were were killed by Disney for having <laughs> leaked that information. You know, so uh, it, it's or is it Bothans? I've Bothans. always get trouble for that. Um, whatever, who's gonna whoever's gonna appear in Rogue One? Uh, the Bothans, and uh, you know, so. He wants to keep the surprise. He's not saying what that specific reason is, but he's the hero, so maybe it will be cool. I love your idea that that's Luke's temple of the you know right. Jedi Temple revival, and it's gone away. Who knows? Uh, but so that's the end of our Star Wars speculation here for now. Until uh, so something else comes week. out, it's a, it's a good for one. Did one. you guys happen to watch the uh, Star Wars the the original trilogy trailer that was cut like oh, yeah. the new trailer? That no, I, I didn't watch that. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, and speaking of fantastic, I mean, this is the truth. The people are at home doing some amazing things, and Hollywood turns out something like Gem and the Holograms last week. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Because Rick just showed me this video of this creature, from a sketch group called Creature, that in two minutes was a a much. Five minutes long. We only watched a bit of it. Oh, my God. It felt like 20. Uh, But. we watched two minutes. Uh, I know there was more, but I just. Right. It, but the joke to me was over. But if I was a huge gem fan, like those characters right. don't mean anything to me. But I could already tell they did a more accurate portrayal in somebody's living room with a makeup with a and- with a Ben Nye makeup kit and and wigs that you could get in Natasha's attic, which is great for Halloween people. Uh, you know, in 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 on Bascom in San Jose. Uh, you know, the, the local costume shop. They did a better job. Right. Then whichever studio I don't even know who released the the abomination. I don't even care. I had no stake in the game. You right. know this is like. But I would imagine if I had been a gem in the holograms fan, this would be equivalent to Jonah Hex. Uh, as a as the a funny thing is, except people, they spent a lot more money on Jonah Hex than they did on Gem in the Holograms. It's kind it of was distributed by Universal. Distributed by Universal. See? Interesting backlash here is that a lot of people are saying it really makes you appreciate Josie and the Pussycats, which was actually a pretty good rendition of that. Uh, well, of that cartoon in live action. Well, no, you know, it wasn't a good rendition of the cartoon. It was a good parody of because they never dressed as the Pussycats. No, they, they never, never did. That's and true. and you know they weren't that over the top. But it is a better movie than it gets credit for. And the songs because I you know, yeah the. Uh, the uh, boy band, which was Du Jour, led by Seth Green mm-hmm. and Breckin Meyer, the guys that do a lot of Robot Chicken. Um, if you ever actually listen to their songs, uh, it's been I, a while. I highly recommend the soundtrack album because, well, it's Du Jour. So they sing about themselves, which is hilarious, and making fun of their, you know, uh, of status as being a boy band. But their other song was Backdoor Lover. <laughs> And it's both like, oh, it's a catchy tune until, of course, you realize what it's actually saying. And most people don't notice because it's done in these smooth five-part harmonies and just like, you know, really nice beats. Um, you know, the thing with Josie and the Pussycats was, you know, the song, as the criticism has been leveled at Gem and the Holograms is a lot of the pop is disposable. So, like, yeah. the Josie and the Pussycats, you know, du, du jour made fun of boy bands. Josie and the Pussycats, they tried to do, like, decent pop songs of the time. But then that is forgettable. The only reason I remember du jour because they were funny songs as well and, you know, definitely captured a moment. But, uh, and it wasn't a hor- you know, it really wasn't a horrible movie. I saw it and went, eh, okay, you know, it, it had its ups and downs. 
But Jim and the Holograms was like apparently there had been pitched a version that was like the cartoon, and then this is nothing like the cartoon. Right. And that I, I, I'm going to go spoilers here uh, because I've read this spoiled online and gone, yes, this is a thing that drives me nuts. That even something like a cartoon where if you watch that cartoon, you were just, oh, you had a theme song that explained the premise. And instead, this movie is setting you up for, and I know I just saw something else that I felt the same way, was it was setting me up for the movie I really wanted to see. That this was the origin story, right. and in the last minute, oh no, I know what movie it was, Fantastic Four, where you are seeing a movie that has nothing to do with the reason you wanted to see the movie until the very end when they say, what shall we call ourselves? Oh, it's fantastic. The Avengers. We're the Fantastic Four. <laughs> We're the Fox ripoff of the Avengers. That um, apparently in like the last minute of the film of Gem and the Holograms is when they're called, they're named the Holograms. Mm-hmm. So... And then all the elements are in place. I'm like, no, you know, nobody sat watching those Saturday morning cartoons or after after school syndicated cartoons. I don't know which was, uh, you know, going. I really wonder what she was like before she was interesting. You know, it's the opposite of the V remake, which was like there was an adventure before this before these episodes that was really cool but we're never going to tell you that story you know it's not like uh, it's not like that it's this was just the, the reversal in bed and you took away and so everybody's taking away that oh uh, movies about women just aren't going to do well i'm like no crappy movies which okay i'm gonna get on a soapbox here there's almost no women involved in the creative team whatsoever it's a male screenwriter male producer male director yeah did this five million dollar movie about women that apparently integrates a lot of youtube footage and actually had, like, they got people to do Gem and the Hologram fan videos, like, to talk about why they liked Gem and the Holograms, and then yeah, cut it in. Cut it. And it's like, okay, that technique could have worked if you'd still bothered putting together a, a good movie. movie. And we're in an audience that people love over-the-top stuff. You've got uh, you've got girls running around in glam makeup, and and, oh, yeah. and they are covered, they're protected by holograms. One, I think it was Charlie Jane Anders on io9 who actually said what's true is that the, the, the other problem is which gets referenced in that video by creature is that basically there was a live action show that covered that same concept and that was Hannah Montana mm-hmm. you know and so so not only did you insult the fans of the original show again the audience that that you were shooting for maybe Has grown up through grew up through Hannah Montana, Hannah Montana so well. you know it's like Give me something over the bigger, and believe me, I've I've sat through a couple episodes of Hannah Montana, and uh, they're pretty over the top. So you had to go bigger than that, and they didn't. So you know, flip side, Jobs comes and goes. Uh, Jobs the movie with Jobs the movie, uh, the Aaron Sorkin scripted, Danny Boyle directed biopic, which is really apparently more like a three act stage play. Yeah, I didn't see it. Um, staged around three announcement, three product right. announces. Out. Interesting technique. Probably would enjoy the play yeah. if it was a hundred seat theater. But nobody's saying let's not make movies about rich white guys anymore. And nobody. And the question I because I know you exchanged with somebody online about criticizing like it was a wait for Netflix film. And so yeah, the question I have with movies now is okay, what qualifies that? That's probably well written, probably well directed, interesting format. But are we saving all our money for? The spectacle. If I'm going to go to a movie theater, do I want to spend twelve bucks to see something that will play almost as well to me? I can try. Let's. Let, that's an interesting question. What does qualify as wait for Netflix 
or wait for because I don't think you just now wait for it to be out on DVD. Uh, yeah, I don't think that your statement was a criticism of the film's quality. No, just that it's just that I can afford to wait on that film. That there's nothing's going to get spoiled for me. I'm not going to really. It's not seeing it on a small screen instead of a big screen is not going to diminish it that much for me. So that's kind of my criteria. That right, I, but okay. I'm, so I'm, that's my, that's my question: is what you know? Does that leave? Is you know, one of the things that you have to go see? Is then okay? You have, obviously you have to go see Star Wars. You have to go see like a big special effects extravaganza. If something's going to be thought provoking or uh, you know, kind of disturbing to the fact that you, that people are going to want to talk about it. Uh, and it's going to be conversational. Well, like I think people are stuff. talking about Jones. No, no, no. no. I mean, know. no, but but from the standpoint of not whether or not. It was oh, and hell, film. we're talking about Jim and the holograms. It still sucked. You yeah, know, but yeah. But but the, I like, am not going to pay for it. I and, and in a Gilligan wipe cut. <laughs> Boy, Jim and the holograms was as bad as I was afraid it was going to be. All right, yeah. And no, in 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 like a you know, I'm I'm going to reach now, but in a my dinner with Andre kind of way where it was all about thoughts. It was all about. Uh, concepts and stuff, and you knew other three other people that were going to talk about that film, yeah. right? Right. Well, back when it was back when it came out, there were a lot of people talking. Oh about no, that I know. Film. I need to see that film. Um, you never saw it? No, I've never seen oh, it. Oh my, okay. Um, but I mean, there are films that have come out that way. There aren't a lot of them. I mean, Midnight in Paris was one. Midnight yeah. in Paris, for one thing, it was a beautiful film, so I think it did benefit from being on a big screen. But there was just so much interesting things going on the characterizations were interesting the the thoughts about about art okay but how big is that screen that i'm looking at in the brett cave we won't need to see its location but how big is it it's a 53 inch screen 53 inch okay and let's say we know other people that have 60 inch 70 inch yeah if you're sitting and i know that now now that it was demonstrated for me at uh at convolution what the Netflix, uh, not the Netflix, what the Oculus Cinema is, mm-hmm. essentially the same thing as put you put that phone up in front of your eyes, and it's simulating having a sixty-inch screen in front of you. It's true. And I can remember, you know, working at AMC's old-style AMC's when you had what we would call the shoebox screen, yeah, the one that was the least popular movie, and the screen didn't feel much bigger than that sixty-inch. Oh no, and. If if Debbie's gone for the weekend and I'm gonna like binge watch through five or six movies, ah, I will take the surround. I will she take was gone the volume are up. I will take the recliner and I will put it like four feet away from the that screen, <laughs> and I'm in heaven. I'll recalibrate the speakers to that's the focal point of the uh, of the sound cone. Um, in the surround sound stuff. So uh, that's dude, awesome. To tie it into movies, Rick is exactly like uh, R.L. Stein in the Goosebumps movie. Uh, Thank you. I thought I was afraid you were going to say like I was like. Uh, oh, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Uh, it would have been too nerdy a reference even for me. Uh, <laughs> Well, your fingernails are, they're a little no, long. They're, no, they're clipped. They're clipped. No jars in the apartment. Though. But uh, Rick is indeed wearing Kleenex boxes on his feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, there's there's the thing is, yes, you'll sit you'll sit through that, and, yeah. and 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 I find myself doing the same thing. It's like I'm a big supporter of independent cinema. I will. I love going to Cinequest mm-hmm. and seeing these things. But most of those movies, I'm thinking, yeah, if my choice is between this movie and the movie that I can eat popcorn to, it's full of explosions right. that everybody's talking like about. That's what I'm going to. I mean, you know, and like, okay, so the last month and a half, probably the only things I've seen have been kids' movies, <coughs> and it's okay. You know, it's just yeah. it, it or. I guess if you call the Scorch Trials a kids movie, but um, you know, as I saw the Scorch Trials, we saw Goosebumps on Sunday, and 
you know, and I'm thinking, well, the only the movie, the next movie I know I'm going to, well, Spectre. Very proud that my yeah. son saw a poster for Spectre and he turned to me and just goes, are you getting excited, Dad? And I'm like, <laughs> how did you know? I, you know, it's like, okay. Now I said, now I'm more excited that you recognize who James Bond is and that he's cool. We're about to get that Blu-ray set out, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I told Sal that last night. It was we saw Sal Pizarro at Cafe Stretch, and I said, "All right, okay, are you ready?" And and uh, he's telling me which movies he's reminding me which movies he started his four-year-old on. So I'm like, "Okay, the eleven-year-old can handle this." Okay, good. You know, so uh, going through there. Um, whoops, I have lost my itinerary. It's coming up. Ah. Uh, other thing from our blast from the past, Kickstarter yesterday. I'm bummed because oh, yeah. they were in Sacramento on Sunday. Don Bluth and Gary Goldman were at, uh, at at a convention on Sunday, but I had my kids, and I, it's like I would have loved to have taken them up to do it, but they, we had other things. But uh, yesterday morning, Don Bluth and, and Gary Goldman launched a Kickstarter campaign for a Dragon's Lair movie, and Jason Salazar thought that he had woken up dead and in heaven because his favorite, favorite IP is going and it was interesting there was a strange little movement like i should have realized like an hour before they announced the kickstarter campaign they started following the fanboy planet kickstarter account really yeah so it was just kind of like oh hmm, gary and don are following us oh you know or was i don't know if it, i don't know if the fanboy planet is actually i think it's still under my name but that they made a point so then we could get that that info and of course it was at work so i couldn't really interesting really go through and upload all the stuff. But definitely, um, they, they're looking for $50,000 as a starter to do this animated film. They and were I, at 5000 immediately. Oh, I, I'm I sure. And I don't know if they're... I funded. Uh, I don't know if they're planning to integrate much or, original footage. It's only like 12 minutes anyway, right? Once you play the whole game end to end. Uh, and I'm not sure if it also includes Dragon's Lair 2 as a plot or save that for the sequel. Hmm. I'm just excited that they're that they're doing something again because mm-hmm. uh it's been a while i think the last thing they did Do we want to know what they're at now yes would you look that up that'd be great as of sixty nine thousand one hundred ninety two dollars so they passed is it fifty thousand is their goal or five hundred thousand five hundred thousand okay and that's to and as, as drew pointed out that's to make a demo that's yeah. to make that's to get the fun the five well, if you million can, dollars if they can prove they which need. i think there is there's a lot of interest in it, a yep. lot of nostalgia. I think you could get a $5 million film, well, and, and it would be and, better than Gem and the Holograms. And you say, Absolutely. we had this many people on Kickstarter just giving us money to make the demo. The, the demo. demo. Um, I think the last film that they did was, was it Titan AE or was it Anastasia? I think the last thing was Titan Anastasia AE. came after Titan AE. I've got to think. I know I was at their studio when they did. They were working on Anastasia. Um, but, uh, either way, it's been a long time. They've just made, you know, they've been living in Arizona. Don Bluth, uh, runs a, a family friendly live theater. They do like, uh, you know, productions bring in and do, and do community stuff and he directs shows. And it just feels like, you know, these, especially when, um, 2d animation, uh, has been going away in favor of the computer generated. These guys were masters. Oh, are no. nope. Anastasia was three years earlier, nineteen ninety-seven. So Titan AE was the last thing. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I because I maybe I saw it after it because it may have been Titan yeah. AE was kind of like you know it was a film they made for Fox and they were not particularly happy. I doing it. it. They were not. They yeah. did not. 
um, because they felt it was it was shooting for again like Jim and the Hog guys right um, shooting at all the wrong audiences yeah. for the form that it was and I think if you'd done Titan AE now it would probably have done really well yeah it did not do well it and, and it's fifty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes six out of six point six out of ten on IMDb. But yeah, it was a. What does that mean? You know, I mean, I I, I know film. what it means, but it's still like, please, you, yeah. you can't crowdsource. Hey, Jim and the Holograms is twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, three point one on IMDb. <laughs> hey, fine, but I'm just saying you can't crowdsource opinions. You have to have your own, right? And so if Rick likes it, that's still yeah. a very valid point that he likes that movie. I thought it was okay too, but I know that they didn't because I've talked to them about it. And uh, so you know that they the filmmakers weren't happy, and apparently the director's commentary is hilariously critical. Uh, I think that the whole th- reason when you watch the director's commentary it says that the commentary may not be uh, that of the studio. I think they may be the reason why <laughs> they had to put that. But um, anyway, uh, we're all for supporting that and very excited. And uh, again, to see the Masters and John Pomeroy, who had been part of the studio originally and then gone back to Disney for a while, is back with them as well. So really the three guys that originally formed Don Bluth Studios are 100% behind this and moving forward and trying to get the, this going. So uh, I, I'm i pretty confident they will, but we'll throw our shout-out to it, too, on Kickstarter, Dragon's Lair, uh, which reminds me to try playing that Blu-ray again and introduce Luke to it, or to go over to Jason's, because Jason actually has the console. Yeah, uh, Both of them. He has two as well, doesn't he? He has, th- he has two, and he has Space Ace. Oh, my God. And uh, and he just... I played Space Ace all the way then. He does it... Uh, oh, he's played it to the end of the point. Oh, I am sure. Nothing holds any joy for him anymore. <laughs> <and he just laughs> I never finished Licks. I never finished Dragon's, Dragon's Lair. Mm-hmm. I never beat it. Well, you can borrow my Blu-ray of it. I also... Okay. What was the one? There was another one. I can't remember what it was. Jason and I were talking about this the other day. There was... Uh, they took uh, Lupin, the third movie. Yeah, but that, uh, that wasn't them, but it was the same technology. But yes. it was yeah, it was one of the Blu-ray ones, and they used footage from that in... in yeah. There were, there were a couple of games that, be, that people around with and of course you know now we're at the point where a really good computer or video game is almost as mm-hmm. as smooth as what they were doing but i can remember that groundbreaking and the story that always tries uh, oh, I, re- I remember exactly where it was the first time Jason I saw crazy it. but i don't know you know I, I say like i was at the studio is uh gary was he taught with my uh, or sorry his wife taught with my mom in the in the late 60s early 70s while he was getting his getting his degree and, and going to work early to work for Disney. So it's a longtime friend of the family, which when I revealed to, to Jason Salazar that, he said, I hate you more than I've uh-huh. ever hated you before. Um, so uh, I actually got to beta test that game. Ah. In the first place, like we went into the Don Blue Studios family family vacation right before, uh, I think I toured UCLA thinking that I was gonna, maybe going to go there. So we did a campus tour and then we went to visit. And... He had this. Con- and he was showing me all this publicity material, and I said, "This looks like that's not a, you know because I'm used to Atari 2600, uh-huh. and I'm going. This looks like this is the animation. This like this is the game. The way this brochure says, and he goes, it is.' And then he opened a door and <laughs> said, "Come on in." And you know, so even played some of it was still in pencil test when I when I played it poorly, granted, uh-huh. um, but you know, so it's it's been something that you know the, the Gary Goldman and Don Bluth have been very major in my life. Um, and so to see again, it means a lot to me that they're coming back and and getting this because there was a Saturday morning show for yes, Dragons there too, 
but I think that was Hanna-Barbera. Like, it was licensed to somebody who did not do as good a job, but the continuing adventures of Dirk the Daring. Mm -hmm. And Daphne. Um, That's right. Kimmy is Space Ace. Right. I was just just thinking, yes, it's Princess Daphne. Yes. Um, Another beloved character from our childhoods. No, not even from our childhoods. We were already too old. But uh, is rumored, because I could not source this directly but so we'll throw out there and i can see it very possible is that uh the co-creator of k9 from doctor who the robot dog Mm -hmm. um because of bbc licensing he he actually does own it you know that's why k9 has not really appeared in the revival even though there's a lot of demand for him he was in like one episode of sarah jane adventures and uh he made a cameo in the pilot he had his own series he did a brief one in the early eighties, yeah. but 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 basically the co-creators get to own it. That's what we've discovered, you know, with the way they've licensed right. someone else. The estate of Terry Nation owns the Daleks, and you have to license that. With, you know, have to make individual right. deals for every everything. So there's rumors that he's putting together a film for K nine out in space called Timequake. K nine Timequake that he's hoping to get prepared and to be released in two thousand seventeen. Um, and since I'm going to segue into Doctor Who news there, it was also announced this week that David Tennant and Catherine Tate are returning to the characters, that the uh, Tenth Doctor and the Doctor Donna, Donna Noble, uh, for Big Finish Audio, on the heels of getting John Hurt to do the War Doctor for four stories as well. So it's it's a big deal that Big Finish has moved into the modern era of Doctor Who. Isn't it around Christmas time that Big Finish does their sale? Yeah, but these aren't coming out till March, so you're going to yeah. have to wait. But and I know you. You're going to pay full price because you can't wait. No, I, I'm, I'm... We've established last week. You, no, I, you I, open I, presents on the 23rd. We know this. I have a bunch of <laughs> I have a bunch of stuff that's older than that. I have the rest of the Paul McGann stuff to buy. And um, Yeah, you've told me that they've got a digital sale. And it, it still works out to be about the same price. I, I checked it. It's it's. I mean, as far as like what their price pre-orders now are for these things, yeah. it's £8.99. So that's about sixteen, seventeen bucks American. Hmm. Um, and if you're going to order from their site, you do need to be a download because I've heard so many horror stories about CDs getting broken yeah. in the yeah. in shipping. Uh, but you know, it is exciting. And then I don't. You probably saw on Saturday that uh, it's, it's like I didn't run it as news because it's like you either have your tickets already or you're not going to get your tickets. Gallifrey One announced that John Hurt will be appearing at Gallifrey One. Yeah, and so a big deal, not because of the War Doctor to me, but because that's the Elephant Man. That's uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Naked Civil Servant. That's the guy from you know he was in Lion and Winter. It's you know this is a giant actor, and you know he's been in poor health. So to get him out to make these appearances, it feels like they haven't sold tickets for Gallifrey One yet for 2016. Yeah, did they sell? You already have them. You already have them. <laughs> After the podcast, I'm going to go back and. I'm not sure I do. I think we may have. We went last year, and I think Debbie and I have been saying we're skipping each every other. Oh, you're skipping this year. Okay, maybe then. Yes. Because we talked about it on the podcast. It was a huge disaster. The site crashed immediately, and it was like a three day ticket buying. No, I I, I said at that time I was happy that I did not undergo that stress. Well, I'm sorry because now John Hurt's going to be there, Peter Davidson, and Colin Baker. So for me, that's exciting. Are you going to go? Oh yeah, I got my tickets. Oh yeah, I got my tickets. Good. Uh, so um, anyway, it, it's uh, it is interesting to me as we transition to television that John Hurt was somebody who did not know anything about Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and before he got cast as the War Doctor, thought it was a good script, so he agreed to do it, and now has definitely embraced his role in fandom. 
and I think that's great because uh, you know an actor of his eminence and and of his age getting to do this kind—it's kind of like a victory lap. You can be, you can have your, you can have your Oscar nominations, eh? Your Tonys, eh? Your Baftas, eh? But if you've got Hoovians, yeah, you're set for life. It's like being third Klingon on a Star Trek. You know, you've always got a convention appearance you get to do. So, no, yeah. no, uh, it's much bigger than that. Um, you're taken care of. I mean, it's the saying, you know, the, yeah. it, it's, it's not stopping. It's kind of like, I mean, I, to jump back, I'm not all that excited about a canine movie or a canine series. I'm not, but kids, but, but if you do it right. Because I, for me, that was, a, that was a character that worked well with the Tom Baker Doctor Who and right. with Leela and with Romana. But by itself, as a lead character, just doesn't have the, the weight for me. Right. So I would imagine that's strictly a kid's film yeah. as being developed, and, and that's okay. I mean, I've, I've seen some people criticizing, like, well, you know, do, do kids not have taste? And I go, they do. But it's okay to right. make films. They just they they have a they have a sense of joy that doesn't and what if it logic. and what if it and what if it doesn't go cinematic? What if it's just like a Netflix release or yeah. a BBC One? Which you know, uh, by the way, as we go to television, the Sherlock Christmas special is going to be simulcast on Masterpiece Theater with BBC America uh, with BBC. Merry Christmas! Yes, so that's the first time that that uh, PBS has coordinated with the BBC. Is that going to be on Christmas? Uh, I don't know if it's actually Christmas, but whatever that two-hour movie is, and then they're going to release it theatrically. So, oh, very you cool. know, just like in limited release, probably still somewhere along the lines of the Fathom mm-hmm. broadcast. But, yeah. but that they're doing the recognition of Sherlock as this big yeah. worldwide phenomenon. So, you know, that's cool. Um, <laughs> now, to get solidly to television is that you know, Supergirl, uh, the pilot went last last night, and apparently did beat the pants off of Gotham. Strongest debut, uh, strongest new series of the season, rating-wise, from the, in what I thought was going to be the killer slot. The death slot, rather. 8.30 to 9.30. Up against 30, Up against Gotham, which, you know, again, fans are saying, like, well, Gotham got a lot better. It's it totally over the top. I, but I also see a lot of people online saying, oh, no, Gotham still sucks. I'm like, I know, I hate watch it, but I, but I, I was... Oh, this season, I'm caught up now. And I'm not caught up, but, it, you know, I, I loved the first two episodes, so I'm yeah. still there. But I loved Supergirl as well, and I've seen people not liking Supergirl. But its intended audience loved it, and that's what I see the reaction today. And, and you know, that's uh, so very strong. I think it's going to last. You know, the big question, criticisms I've seen. Did you watch Supergirl last night? No, I didn't. I've got it recorded. They combine a couple of characters from kind of obscure mythology, you know, mythos, and. Uh, it bothered me for like a split second, but I'm seeing people being very bothered online today uh-huh. by this combination. Sure. And Cardi Angelo and I said, you know, he's like, is it this guy or is he this guy? And and then I said, you know, he's both. It's like, you know, it's like uh, Smucker's, you know, the goobers, the peanut butter and jelly uh, combo or a peanut butter cup, you know. Um, they've combined these two characters. And I thought, yeah, for us purists, that's like, how dare they combine those characters? Because they're very, they're It's opposite. not that Galaxy Broadcasting guy. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. no. No, it's it, one of the villains is is really two different characters. Oh, okay. Has one name, but has de- but is definitely a different villain. You know, and, okay. and they're both various, you know, they're both established characters in the mythos. And so I was kind of like, you know, sure that bothers me, but but who cares? Because there are fewer of us who know who those characters are. Right. 
in the comics than there are people who watched that show last night. Who are night, being entertained by that show. Who are being entertained. They yeah. don't care. You know, those are the moments back in uh, when I'd watch Smallville and I'd get excited that there was like, you know, the, the, the Murphy, it wasn't the Murphy Anderson, they did the, uh, like, E. Nelson Bridwell Bridge or something like that, Magan Bridge, right, you know, right, and I would right. go, oh, that's the guy who wrote, you know, and then uh, my ex-wife would send her and just go, that's nice. You know, yeah, you get exactly, patronized. Exactly. It's like it, the knowledge doesn't interfere or help. You know, no, it's, they're it's the same thing. The show. People go, you don't understand. The boots are totally wrong. Right. You <laughs> know, I, I don't I can't watch it. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the big thing is now you've, you've blown your pilot budget. What is it going to look like on a week to week basis? Yeah. But I, something I realized this week is if you say two of their most popular characters right now, uh, and definitely on television, The Flash and Supergirl. Two characters they killed in 1985 in Crisis on Earth. It's true. Yeah, is it just an interesting? And I think why is because you you know there's almost like a psychological a zeitgeist thing of we see Crisis on Infinite Earths as having killed like when Stacy's death back in '71 ended an era, ended an innocence, yeah, a, a viewpoint on what comics were, but what what is it saying about us right now? Which Smallville was not. Smallville was definitely angsty teen drama. Yeah, and oh, the Flash tries sometimes, but it can't help but being fun, and that's it. It's like we're looking for these characters that actually enjoy being Heroes. superheroes, yeah. and you know you can't you can't help it. No matter how much they try to give a bad subplot to Barry Allen about distrusting Jay Garrick, it still shines through that it's really cool being the Flash, <laughs> you know, and and that's what Kara is. Uh, on Supergirl, is it's really cool. Oh, it's better being than that because you've got villains who really enjoy being villains. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Say, oh, Captain Cold. Oh, how oh, I love you. Um, you know, so, yeah. So it's it's around <coughs> sticking around for a while. I and I have not watched the new trailer for the X Files, but I got excited because have you seen the the previous one, the animated trailer for X Files? No, I haven't. Oh my! Look it up. I saw. I was watching Scream Queens, which I love as well. And and in between on demand, they showed a trailer for X Files, and it's like a, it's a very stylized, animated thing. It almost looks like uh, Shag. Okay. Uh, you know, like they've animated. If Shag had done painting, Shag of, the artist, Shag the artist had done cartoons of of the X Files cast. This is you know what it would be. So it, it's it's really cool. Did they have one that was just the voices over? Something. I well, that's what it is. Is they're talking. They've got di- snippets of dialogue. Are you ready, Scully? Are you, you know? Uh, yeah. And then and then there's this animation going on. That's just very you know. It, it's really cool. Oh, maybe I I, I was kind of I was working really hard one night. And maybe you just weren't paying attention to what was on TV. Attention. Yeah. Yeah. So it it is really cool. I'm looking forward to the. I was not like I still haven't seen the second film, um, but you know I was like oh X Files coming back that's okay and then I saw that that trailer that commercial and went. All right, somebody's got the right idea. Oh, so I've yeah. got to, I've got to, I've got to give it. I was so into X Files, and when, when I, I, well, I was into it the first time around. It's just, it just, uh, you know, I moved. It was over, and I moved on. You know, yeah. Um, but I'm into the idea. If they're going to go back to uh, this apparently new trailer and this new teaser talks about the monsters. Well, okay, that was always my favorite part of the. I did not like the mythology. Yeah, you didn't like the conspiracy. I didn't like the conspiracy because they didn't know what they, where they were going with it. Right. They were making it up as they went along. But the monsters, those were, you know, it was just, that was a cool take on. Did you have the movie soundtrack that had the hidden You uh, gave it to me and I played and I And one night I sat in my car listening and I kind of nodded off <laughs> and the soundtrack ended. 
And then that hidden trick expl- <laughs> came on, explained, woke me up, and I'm like, oh, what the hell was that? And you know, and and then listened through, and I went, great. Except that if that's the explanation, you don't hide it in a hidden right. track, a movie right. soundtrack. Right, right. When people are desperate to go, do you even know what you're doing? You know, so there it was. Um, we can't spoil The Walking Dead because Rick hasn't watched it. Um, nor have I really. I'm not gonna, you know, say. Uh, but I've certainly seen the spoilers, so I know what happened. Okay. Um, I'll watch it tonight. And another thing, I'll, I'm going to swing back to uh, to games because I actually sort of have a secondhand review oh. of uh, from Kid Macaw. When he's officially reviewing, he's got to be Kid Macaw. Uh, we're trying to make it so that he can post on the site. But um, Telltale Games uh, released today the second chapter of the Minecraft story mode. Oh, cool. And uh, He played the first one? And he played the first one. Okay. And so he was telling me about it. And... It was an adjustment for me because I thought from the commercial with like who was involved, it's like this is not going to be appropriate for my son, and you know, this is his ten and up, and he said it went fast, which I think Telltale Games, especially for someone like my son who's a real, he's getting to be a hardcore gamer. Well, you can a lot of them, you can just drive through the plot, or yeah. you can kind of play it and yeah. look at stuff. On I the think side he's gone. I think he's gone a second time through, but yeah. he did enjoy the first one. He was very excited. And all he could talk about on Sunday was, you know, when, when I, I can hardly wait for the second chapter because I've, I've already played through the first couple times. And, and, uh, so they released in stores, you can get the disc for your, for your platform, which has the first chapter yes. and then the codes to download the whole thing. So you can, bu- you know, buy it if you're, if you, if you're not going to do just a completely virtual. So, um, I can vouch that an 11-year-old Minecraft fanatic loved the storytelling mode uh, version of the game. So it's, it was funny, enjoyed it. You know, we got Patton Oswalt, Brian Posehn. Uh, I can't remember who else is in there, but but a lot of really cool alternative commercials comics. look good. I was going to check and, out. And that's why I thought that I, I was like, this can't be appropriate for my son because these are too many stand-up comics that I know their work and I love their work, and there's no way I'm going to play that uh-huh. for my kid, you know. So uh, anyway, fun stuff. So we've reached the end. Have we, Nate? Oh, sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Although, I'm just kidding. mute his microphone, please. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I want to kill switch now. <clears throat> I was just gonna say, Hell in the Cell was yesterday. Yes, for wrestling. And was for some reason, they're not just ending the Undertaker story. It continues and continues. The man is almost as old as you guys. I think that's unfair. I think he's uh, <laughs> older than me, <laughs> so uh, he may be almost as old as Rick. Now, how old is that guy? He is. I don't know. I think they said fifty-two. Let me double check. Oh, he's it. older than me. Yes, yes. A couple minutes older than you. If by he's minutes 50. you mean years, he's okay. fifty years old. Okay, damn, he's okay. the same age. All right, but but he's lived harder. Um, he's been, certainly he's been buried more times than you have. <laughs> Jeez. I remember the first burial. I think I watched that. It was the, during the six months that I cared. Uh, so, yes. All right. So, Hell in a Cell was yesterday. Thank you. Uh, anyway, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. We will be on hiatus for a week. Rick is going to be off at a, a conference. Uh, I will be representing California in the Microsoft oh, MVP. In, in the Miss Microsoft Beauty Pageant. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so. The Summit in 
sunny. Rick is Miss California. Seattle. Uh, so, no, you're, I'm just saying, you're off at a conference, professional yeah. conference. Yes. And uh, so uh, we're taking a week off. Uh, but we will be back uh, after Halloween uh, and deep into November. And I would say, Nate and Rick both, start making notes as what you think your gift guide should be as we prep for Black Friday. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes. Until we meet again and beyond. The, uh, hold on just a second. And those gift guides are not what you personally want, but what you recommend. Right? Or are we asking, right. is this the both. stuff we want for Christmas? I think it overlaps. Usually you put a gift guide made of things you've already bought. Yes. So. <laughs> well, and I can recommend them as good things for buy. I mean, I have a want list on Amazon, but that's not the same thing. I do it as both. If it's something I already have that's awesome, I recommend exactly. it. If it's something I sure. really want that I know is awesome, I say, hey, I want this, and you should too. Okay. So I, I mine, mine is primarily things that I have enjoyed already. So. <laughs> I know. Which are usually sitting right here at the table when I come in. <laughs> Look at what I got. You know, oh. so it's, yeah, it's, uh, oh. so I'm pretty, uh, uh, wait a minute. I'm getting a vision of the future. The Shield Omnibus is coming through. Very, I, I don't see think it. so. I don't know. I no, that wouldn't be a recommendation of mine because it would, it would. I usually try and get things that I think are going to be general, more less specific than that. So, yeah, I see a shield. Then that's less specific. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Captain America Shield. All right. So anyway, uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com. I'm Dave Costa, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers only, only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. Okay. <laughs> this is Keegan Michael Key, and I'd like to remind you to use your powers only for good. Oh, yes. Only use your powers for <laughs> only good. <laughs> uh, one more time, Miss Lane. If I'd only known that, you know, when I said that, and, and I remember the first time I said it, and Andy <coughs> said, That's the sign off? That's it? And if I realized how difficult it was, I would have, you know, I liked it. Anyway. <laughs> oh. We well, can always change it. I mean, there's, there's... No, we can't. No, you can't change it. It's been over 400 episodes, Rick. Well, that's when you do it. You do it on an anniversary. This the is, new slogan is, is <laughs> don't be bad. <laughs> We're done. Don't uh, be bad. Only be good. See, here you go.